One of my uh, favorite joys of being a pastor is getting to celebrate with uh, many in our church family the arrival of newborn babies. And uh, it's always fun, you know, when we get these birth announcements that come in the mail or emails or excited text messages. In fact, just in the last couple of weeks, I've had three dear friends here at church uh, share special announcements with me of newborn babies coming into their families. And uh, it's such a thrill and joy to celebrate uh, the arrival of a beautiful newborn baby. By the way, none of these kids are from our church. I, I pulled these off of Pinterest and Etsy. <laughs> Um, so I, I don't know any of these kids. I don't even know if they're real kids. So, but, uh, but, you know, it's always fun to get these birth announcements because as parents, we are thrilled and overjoyed to share the good news that a new life has been born into this world. And, you know, just like we as parents are excited to announce the arrival of a new son or a new daughter, God, our Heavenly Father, was also excited to announce the arrival of His Son the one who came into this world 2,000 years ago on that very first Christmas, the one whom we are here to celebrate today. Now, when we think about God's birth announcement for Jesus, we often think about the miraculous star that guided the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. Or, or maybe you think about the, the chorus of angels that, that sang for the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. But friends, there were other announcements God made. Some of these announcements God had delivered to his people even hundreds of years before Jesus was born. We call these announcements prophecies, foretelling the future, announcing things that have yet to take place. And, and God prophetically declared to his people that he was sending his son into this world. See, friends, unlike our human birth announcements that have to wait until after our children are born, God is the sovereign author of history. He's authored all of history, and as the author of history, he was able to declare in advance that his son was coming. He did this so that there would be no mistaking that the child that we celebrate together today, the child we celebrate on Christmas, was like no other child ever born into this world. One of the announcements that God gave about the coming of his son, these, these prophecies that we find in scripture, was given by a spiritual teacher in Israel 700 years before the arrival of Jesus Christ. This teacher was named Isaiah. He was a prophet who spoke to God's people on behalf of God. And Isaiah shared a prophecy of hope the, the promise of an anointed one, a Messiah, a king who was going to come and be the deliverer of God's people. We, we've been looking at Isaiah's prophecy together here at Lakes Free over the last few weeks during this Christmas season. And in this prophecy, just, just to remind you, Israel at this time was facing God's judgment. They had been rebelling against God, and God had sent prophets warning them to turn from their sins, to come back to God, to get their lives back into a right relationship with him. But they continued to refuse and rebel against the Lord. And so God was sending the Assyrian army, the Syrian empire, against his people as a form of judgment. And they were about to be taken away. And can you imagine, you see the hordes of the Assyrian army swarming into the nation, surrounding Jerusalem, and you're thinking all hope is lost, and it, it was into this reality that the prophet Isaiah spoke these words of hope from the Lord to his people. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now here in this incredible passage, God provides a message of hope for his anxious people. He declares that a king was coming, and this king was going to be unlike any other. This king, this child born to us, the son given, would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Friends, here in this prophecy, we have a birth announcement unlike any other. And here in this prophecy, God tells us who this promised deliverer, this Messiah would be. This, this past December here at Lakes Free, we've been exploring these various names. What does it mean that Jesus is our wonderful counselor? What does it mean that he is our mighty God, our everlasting father? And now today, I want to look at this fourth name of the son who was given to us on that very first Christmas. This fourth name, the prince of peace. What does it mean that Jesus is our prince of peace? You know, friends, it's no exaggeration to say this afternoon that we live in a world that is desperately in need of peace. All you need to do is take a quick glance at your smartphone's newsfeed today, and you're going to see wars and rumors of war, and cultural chaos, and political infighting, and racially motivated hate crimes, and family dysfunction, and economic uncertainty, and growing rates of despair, and so many other signs of a troubled and anxious world in need of peace. And while countless politicians and pundits have promised to deliver peace, generations have come and gone having weighed their promises and found them wanting. There is one, however, who can truly deliver. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus into this world to offer us the possibility of peace, what the scriptures call shalom. Shalom is an incredible word. I've been to Israel a couple of times, and when you travel to Israel, you'll hear the greeting shalom all the time from the Jewish people. When you walk into a restaurant, they'll greet you shalom. When you leave, they'll they'll greet you shalom. And, And what does shalom mean, friends? Shalom means peace. But it's more than just the absence of conflict, more than just an experience of tranquility. When when, when we speak of shalom, according to the scriptures, shalom refers to the possibility of wholeness and fulfillment and flourishing. Cornelius Planiga in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, summarizes for us the shalom the biblical prophets anticipated and that God's people longed for. Listen to how he describes shalom according to the scriptures. They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out, rough places made plain. The foolish would be made wise and the wise humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower, the mountains would run with wine, weeping would cease, and people could go to sleep without weapons in their laps. People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. Lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful, benign, and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood, and all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, and delight in God. Friends, doesn't that sound good this afternoon? That's shalom. That's the peace of God. And there's only one person who can bring this kind of peace into our world, and that is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that one day, all of these promises of shalom will be realized. See, Jesus is going to come back to this world. 
He's going to come again. And when he comes again, he's going to make all things new. He's going to bring true shalom. The book of Revelation describes this shalom for us like this in Revelations 21, 1 through 5. The Apostle John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, isn't that a great promise? These words, Jesus says, are trustworthy and true. What a day that's going to be. The day when shalom is realized in all its fullness. And friends, I believe that that day is coming very soon. Jesus could return at any moment. In fact, the prophetic signs he told his followers to watch for can be seen all around us in our world today. If you don't believe me, go home tonight and read Matthew chapter 24. And you're going to hear its echoes all over tonight's nightly news. The signs are all around us. Jesus is coming again. Today, however, this Christmas Eve, we wait. Much like Mary and Joseph and Simeon and all God's people long ago who waited for the first coming of the Prince of Peace. But friends, make no mistake, our waiting is different. You see, we wait in the light of Christmas. And because the Prince of Peace came 2,000 years ago, we can begin to experience shalom even now. This is what Christmas is all about. The peace of God that's available to each and every one of us here this afternoon through Jesus Christ. In John 14, 27, Jesus told his followers, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What a great promise that is. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. It's not like the world gives. It's not with strings attached. It's a peace freely given. It's not like the world gives. Promises of peace that don't fulfill. Jesus promises peace in abundance. Jesus gives us his peace. And it's a peace that we can experience in three primary ways. First and most significantly, we can experience the, the gift of Jesus' peace this Christmas through the peace with God that he provides for us. This is one of God's Christmas gifts to you today. The possibility of peace with God through Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, the nation of Israel was under attack in the second intifada, the Palestinian uprising. The Palestinian people were rebelling against the Jewish nation and Jerusalem was under attack with suicide bombers and all kinds of rioting and violence. It was a desperate time. The Israeli defense forces responded and moved their forces into the Palestinian territories to root out the, the Palestinians' militants. As they began going through the streets, town by town, city by city, house by house, looking for the, the militants who had been attacking Jerusalem, the militants began to run and flee, looking for safety. They eventually found themselves cornered in the streets of Bethlehem, and the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, were getting closer. And these Palestinian militants ran into the church of the Nativity seeking refuge, seeking peace. 
And there in the church of the nativity, they found security. They found peace. They didn't flee to a hospital. They didn't flee to a mosque. They didn't flee to a school. They fled to the birthplace of the Prince of Peace. I find it very interesting, friends, that even Islamic militants recognize that peace is found in Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, that church in the nativity has an interesting feature to it. If you ever have a chance to go and visit Bethlehem and visit the birthplace of Jesus Christ, the church in the nativity, the doorway to the church, the single entrance into the church is called the door of humility. It's a four-foot-tall door. And they built it four feet tall because anyone who enters in must bow in humility before Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting that even Islamic jihadists had to bow in humility before Jesus to experience his peace? I was thinking of this story this week as I was reflecting on the meaning of Christmas and why Jesus came into this world to offer us peace with God. The Apostle Paul describes the the peace with God that Jesus provides for us like this in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What's Paul talking about here, friends? Paul's talking about the reality that just like those Palestinian militants, we too are at war and in rebellion against our creator God. The Bible describes this reality as sin. And the Bible says that every single one of us is born into this world as a sinful rebel in the eyes of our holy creator God. You see, God is perfect. He is morally pure. He, he's holy and righteous. He has no sin. But we, we are rebels against him. We rebel against his law. We rebel against his will. We rebel against his righteous ways. And our sin and rebellion creates a chasm, a separation between us and God. But you see, the message of Christmas, what Christmas is all about, is God offering us peace with him through Jesus Christ. That's what that word justified means. Since we have been justified by faith, justified means to be made right with God. How does that happen? It happened through Jesus Christ, God's son, who came into this world and laid down his life on a cross to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. He died the death that we deserve to die. He shed his blood so that we might have life. See, the shed blood of Jesus from the cross covers our sins. And so when God in his holiness and his righteousness looks upon us, he no longer sees our sin. But he sees the shed blood of his son, Jesus, who covers our sins. And through faith in Jesus, we can then be justified, made right, back in, brought back into a right relationship with our holy creator, God. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, understand there's no other way to experience peace with God. Jesus is that door. And that door is open and freely given to anyone who would enter through it. But just like that door of humility at the church of the nativity, you need to humble yourself before Jesus to enter in. And anyone who's willing to humble themselves before Jesus, God will invite them in and give them a new relationship with him as a child of God. He'll wash your sins away. He'll cleanse you. He'll make you white as that Christmas snow outside today. And you can know the joy of peace with God this Christmas. Friends, that's God's gift to you. That's what Christmas is all about. If you don't know that peace with God, I implore you tonight to put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Enter through that door and experience peace with your creator. The second gift that Jesus offers us as our prince of peace, he offers us peace with others. 
You know, one of the greatest blessings of experiencing peace with God is that it opens up the possibility for us to know true peace in our relationships with others. How does that happen? When we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives within us. And one of the miraculous realities of the Holy Spirit living within us as children of God is that the Holy Spirit begins to do a work of transformation in our lives. The Apostle Paul describes this transformation as, as the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit or the product, the result of the Spirit alive within us. The fruit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is what God's Spirit does within us when we put our trust in Jesus. He begins to transform our lives. And friends, when our lives are transformed in light of this fruit of the Spirit, that's when we begin to experience peace in our relationships with others. Now, now here's the reality. We can experience some of this temporarily, artificially, on our own, without God. But if you want these things in lasting abundance, friends, it only comes through a relationship with the Prince of Peace and the Spirit of God bringing about this transformation in you. It's just like my Christmas tree at home. You know, when we went to Marquardt's Christmas tree lot a few weeks ago and we, we got our Christmas tree and we brought it home, I mean, we set that Christmas tree up and it was a beautiful tree. I mean, all on its own, it was just fine. But when my wife brought out the Christmas decorations and began to carefully place those decorations upon the tree, pretty soon that tree took on a whole new beauty, a whole new life. It's glorious, it's awesome. It brings great joy to our Christmas season. But friends, that tree couldn't decorate itself, could it? That tree needed somebody to place those ornaments upon it. And it's the same way with us and the fruit of the Spirit that the Bible talks about. We can't manufacture that fruit on our own. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's God's work in our hearts. It's what God produces in our lives when we trust in Jesus Christ. And friends, the result of a life that's decorated with the fruit of the Spirit is a life of peace, peace with others. I mean, how many of you, think about this tonight, how many of you wouldn't like to see your relationships, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your coworkers, how many of you wouldn't like to see those relationships characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, Right? What would that look like? It would be transformative. Friends, that kind of peace comes when we trust in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Our biggest problem, however, relationally, is we so often want the peace without the Prince. Isn't that true? We want the peace without the Prince. I, I saw an interesting article this week. Reader's Digest. How to keep peace at family dinner this holiday. It was an interesting article, especially since I was working on a sermon dealing with the peace with others that Christ brings into our lives. So I thought to myself, well, I wonder what Reader's Digest suggests about how we can experience peace with others this Christmas season. Reader's Digest offers these tips. Number one, focus on the reason you're together. Well, that sounds good, unless the reason you're together is your mom dragged you to that meal, right? And then you're not so happy to be there. Let curiosity replace curses. Okay. Love doesn't require you to see eye to eye on everything. Okay, I can buy into that. Remember, stupidity is not a crime. <laughs> now, tonight at Christmas dinner, I encourage you to try that one out with Uncle Joe. When Uncle Joe starts sharing his contemporary political opinions with you just say hey uncle joe hey it's okay stupidity's not a crime <laughs> see how much peace that brings to your family dinner <laughs> number four examine your own lack of empathy number five run interference and practice avoidance and diversion you know some of those tips i can buy into some of them are 
pretty ridiculous. But it's interesting that you can go online tonight and you can find all kinds of articles with tips and tactics about how to have peace this Christmas. I found it very interesting, however, that that Reader's Digest article, out of all the tips they offered, there was one that was missing. There was no Jesus. There was no Prince of Peace. See, friends, if you want true peace this Christmas, you need to allow Jesus a seat at the table. True peace comes with others when we put Jesus at the center of those relationships. You see, when Jesus is the center of our lives, he produces that fruit of the Spirit in us. And when we look to him as that perfect example of love and selflessness and service to others, he begins to conform us more and more into his likeness, into his image. And friends, the more that happens, the more you'll experience true peace with others. Not only this Christmas, but every day to come. The third gift that Jesus offers us, shalom even today, is peace with life. You know, I know that Christmas season for many of you especially can be a very difficult time. You know, we're, we're, we're told that this is a time of joy and celebration, and it truly is as we focus our hearts on the arrival of Jesus Christ, but the reality is it can also be a time of great trials and hurt for many people. Because we, we know on one hand we're supposed to be celebrating in a spirit of joy, but our circumstances in life don't always bring about that kind of joy the kind of peace that we long for. This past week in our staff meeting, our church staff team, we pray regularly for the people of our church, for the needs that we hear about in our church family. And I was just overwhelmed as I realized how many people, even in our church, are struggling with health issues, with grief, the loss of loved ones, with economic trials and uncertainties. There's a lot of people, even in our own church, in need of peace. I was at the grocery store a couple days ago, and one of the women we had prayed for, she had recently had surgery, her husband had recently had surgery, their family was dealing with all kinds of chaos in their lives, and I was talking to her, asking her how she's doing. And it struck me, her response to me was, Jason, I don't know how people make it through Christmas without Jesus. You know, it's really interesting to think about that. How do people make it without Jesus? See, she had a perspective on her Savior, Jesus Christ, as the Prince of Peace. She recognized that true peace in life is only found in a relationship with him. It's just like the prophet Isaiah told us in Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 through 4. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Isaiah says God keeps him at perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him, on the Lord. That word stayed is an interesting word. It means to rest upon. It means to trust your weight with something. It's like a bench on a trail. It's like two summers ago when my wife and I were in Colorado hiking in Rocky Mountain National Park and we were on a nine-mile hike up into the mountains and we had been trekking through the dusty, sandy trails and we came to this beautiful mountain lake. And the Forest Service had built a rustic wooden bench on the edge of that lake. And I sat down, I stayed my rear end on that bench and it was a picture of peace. But you know something? It was a peace that didn't last because I had to get off that bench. I had to hike my way back home. The world offers all kinds of opportunities for peace, just like that park bench, but it's not a lasting peace. If you're looking for a lasting peace in life, it comes from what the prophet Isaiah tells us. Lasting peace is found when our minds are stayed on thee, our creator God, our Lord the Prince of Peace. One of the greatest realities uh, and illustrations of this reality is a story that we read in the Gospel of Mark. 
Mark chapter 4. It's the story of Jesus and his disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee, and they got caught up in a large storm. And as the disciples were fearful and, and anxious and terrified by what was going around, all around them as the waves were beating against the boat and the wind was blowing, they said to Jesus, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Friends, have you ever felt like those disciples in that boat, caught in a storm? Maybe not in the middle of a real lake, in a real storm, in a real boat, but but maybe in your life. Maybe in your life you, you felt the reality of the, the wind and the waves beating against you. Maybe it's been a period of economic uncertainty. Maybe it's physical trials with your health. Maybe it's in the grief and suffering that comes with the death of a loved one. Maybe it's strife in your marriage or difficulties with your kids and it just seems like life is this storm that's raging all around you. Friends, let me encourage you today. Just like Jesus cried out to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. Friends, do you know that that, that that cry that Jesus made was also a command to each of us in a sense? Jesus says to us when we are in the midst of our storms, he says, peace, be still. See, understand something this afternoon, friends. Jesus doesn't promise us a life without storms. But he does promise to sail through them with us. And let me ask you this afternoon, what storms might you be facing today? And is Jesus in your boat? And if Jesus isn't in your boat today, you need to invite him in. And not just invite him in, you need to let him take over as captain. Let him steer that ship through the storms. For those of you here who are already sailing with Jesus, I want to remind you of what he's promised us as his people. In Isaiah 41.10, we read, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Friends, hang on to that righteous right hand this Christmas and know the peace of Jesus Christ. What an incredible gift that we've been given in Jesus. Peace with God, peace with others, peace with life. Who else but the Prince of Peace could provide so many wonderful blessings? Such shalom. Friends, are you in need of peace this Christmas? If so, Jesus invites you today. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you truly are our Prince of Peace. And you invite us today to come to you and to find rest. This is what Christmas is all about. Our creator and his great love for us was not content to leave us trapped and alone in a world of anxiety and despair, trapped in our sin and rebellion against him. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, our prince of peace. Jesus, you came into this world so that we could have a new relationship with you, a right relationship with you, a relationship no longer stained by the reality of our sin and rebellion, but peace with you. Peace that leads to relational peace with others in our lives. 
peace that gives us hope in the midst of the storms. Jesus, we worship you tonight on this Christmas Eve because you truly are the Prince of Peace, worthy of our praise. And I just want to pray tonight, Jesus, that if there's anybody here who hasn't put their hope and trust in you, that even today, this Christmas Eve, they might reach out to you and accept the gift of new life, of peace that you offer each of us. That they might call out to you even in the quiet of their heart right now and just say, Jesus, I know I've been living in rebellion against you. And tonight, I want to embrace you as my Prince of Peace. Come into my life. Make me a new creation. Take over as Lord. Captain my ship. And help me to know your peace. Friends, if you pray that prayer, Jesus will hear you. He knows your heart. He'll set you on a path that leads to life and life abundant in a life-giving, peace-filled relationship with him. We thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace and for the wonderful gift that you are to each of us this Christmas. Amen.